Well, good morning, River Ridge. We've got a full house here this morning. Good seeing you guys, and welcome to those that might be joining us online. However you're joining us, uh, we're glad that you're here. We are wrapping up a series that we've been in for the last few weeks called A Time for Everything, where we've been looking at some of the seasons that we go through in life and how it is that during those seasons that we can align our lives up with what God says is best for our lives. Uh, the last couple of weeks, Andy's unpacked for us what it means to to leverage our time at work, where we'll spend a, a lot of our time. How do we leverage that for God's kingdom and God's mission? And then last week, he shared a very timely message for us about what it means for us to enter into a time of rest and embrace the rest that God has in store for us. And today, we are wrapping it up. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and we'll get there in just a few minutes. Uh, we've all heard the expression that you reap what you sow. Uh, it's just a, a principle of life, that there are certain actions, words, decisions that we make that lead to certain consequences in the future. And usually, a lot of times, we, we use that as a negative expression, some kind of deterrent in somebody's life, that their negative decisions have actually they finally caught up with them, and they are reaping what they sow. And while it definitely applies to that, it also has some promises on the positive side of things as well, but it requires some forethought on our part. It requires some planning. What we do is we look ahead and we say, what is the goal that I have for this area of my life? And then we choose the best actions that lead to that outcome, that lead to that consequence. So if you want to make the starting lineup on a baseball team or a football team, then you know that it begins in the offseason, that you have to put in the effort in the offseason and put your effort in to practice, to earn, to reap playing time. Uh, if you want a retirement nest egg, when, when you finally retire, what you have to do is, over the period of your career, set aside a little bit of each paycheck so that when you retire, there's something there waiting on you. If you want a marriage that is full of fun and passion, then you make date nights and you make communication the priority of your marriage. And if you're a parent and you say, you know, I, I want to have a lifetime of influence with my kids long after they leave the house, then what that means is that we have to embrace those teenage years and begin to transition from a position of authority to a position of influence. We reap what we sow. This principle of sowing and reaping applies to all sorts of things in the Bible and what it means for us to live a God-honoring Christian life. But this morning... We're going to look at one very specific application and ask a very specific question. What does it mean to apply this principle of sowing and reaping to generosity, to our finances? And just like any other area, we have to begin with the end in mind. We have to ask the question, what's the goal that we're shooting for? What is it that we want to reap out of money? Well, the obvious answer is that we just want to get richer, right? I mean, the, the conventional wisdom says, you know, the tendency for, is for us when we think about generosity and finances is, just, is to treat it just like a math problem, right? The, the more that you get, the more that you keep, the richer you are. The more that you give away, the less that you have, the poorer you are. Conventional wisdom says it's just numbers. Make as much as you can. Keep as much as you can. Keeping is the better strategy to enjoying money than giving. It's just simple math. But there's another way that the Bible paints for us, and it's counterintuitive, and, it, and you see it throughout the Bible. Jesus said it this way in, in Luke chapter 6. He says, give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, we poured into your lap. For with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. Jesus, this isn't a command. 
Jesus is just saying, this is a principle of life. This is just how life works. And it's an observation that he has that he says, you can test this out and see that it's true. Uh, Solomon, the wisest man to, to ever live, picks it up and he says it this way in Proverbs chapter 11. He says, one person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly. Another person is stingy, but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will himself be refreshed. The, the Bible says over and over again that the conventional wisdom is wrong, that, that holding on to our money, hoarding our money, keeping it for ourselves actually leads to a poorer life. And the way to a richer life, ironically, is found in giving it away. Uh, the Apostle Paul says the exact same thing, but he uses this language that we're talking about this morning of sowing and reaping. In 2 Corinthians 9, he says, remember this, Whoever sows sparingly, that is, whoever is stingy with their money, will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Uh, Paul is saying, I don't want you to look at money in terms of math, just in terms of numbers. I want you to think about your money in terms of sowing and reaping. Throughout the Bible, God says over and over again, here is how I set up finances to work in this world. I want you to take some of what I've given you. He, and he told the people of Israel, I want you to take 10% and I want you to sow it. I want you to give it away. And it sounds so illogical, but what God says is that if you do that, something happens in return. There is a blessing that comes back to you. God wants us to become generous because generosity actually leads to a richer, fuller Life. Whenever you live your life thinking of others, when you live your life serving others, when you live your life giving yourself away to other people, it makes you a better person. It, it gives your life more focus, more meaning, more purpose. And you begin to experience the fulfillment of being used by God to make a difference in the world around you. The truly rich life is found by giving it away. And, and this isn't just some uh, religious idea. It's actually scientifically proven. I, I was actually reading this week about this fascinating sociological study that, that Notre Dame, the University of Notre Dame, did a few years ago. And it was published in this book called The Paradox of Generosity. And during this five-year study, they, they studied uh, over 2,000 people and did all these extensive surveys, and they broke people down into two different categories, those who were generous with their time and their money and those that were not, those that were ungenerous. And what they found over and over again was that the generous people were significantly happier, were physically healthier, emotionally healthier. They, they suffered uh, from fewer accounts of, of depression. They had stronger relationships, and they reported that their life had more purpose and more meaning. Turns out that God was right. Go figure. That, that, the, that the life that we want, the rich life, the full life, the meaningful life that we want is actually found by giving ourselves away. And you guys know this. A lot of you in here, this is such a generous church, and you've experienced this firsthand in your life. The blessing that comes back to you is you give away of yourself. As a church, we've just finished up this season of accelerated generosity that we called Forward, where we did that very thing, where we purposely sowed back into God's 
kingdom. A large group of us said that we want to intentionally sow some of the finances that God has given us so that we could reap and begin to see what it looks like for God to show up. And as a result of Forward over the last couple of years, we forged this really close relationship with a community center uh, on the west side of town called the, the Second Avenue Center. And I want to share with you, just so you can get a glimpse and maybe celebrate along with us, some of what we are reaping, some of the harvest that we are reaping as a result of your generosity. Take a look at this video. Over the past couple months, I've been in charge of taking a uh, blank space in here. It was a room with carpet and uh, junk piled up and different things and transforming it into a room that the kids can actually sit and enjoy when the weather's cold outside. And it was like nothing. They were just all black. And there was like a couple tables in there. So it was just plain. We've had this building for 20 plus years. And, and uh, uh, that's just not something that I would have thought about, is putting a, a floor in, a basketball court in. And, uh, they've got something in there now that I think the kids will even be proud of. Um, the first thing I saw was actually the basketball hoop. And then I saw the rock wall, and I saw the punching wall, not the punching wall, punching bag. Um, I wanted to help with the Second Avenue Community Center, the new activity room. Um, whenever the mural was created, um, I had been a part of the homework buddy room um, when that mural was done, and I really wanted to come up with a with a message that we could share with the kids um, as far as when they're in the space, something that would be inspirational for them to, to see while they're in the space, having fun, right? Having fun. If it's like really cold outside, we just go in there, and that's where we could do our stuff because we have basketball hoops and stuff out here, but it would be really cold, so we don't want to get a cold, and then we eat sick and we, don't, we can't come. So that would help us. And so for all of those that had a hand in it, we, we, we offer a sincere thanks. And, and I'm grateful that you are all here and y'all are here to help us with everything. Isn't that great? That was fantastic. And, and those of you that, that have sowed over the last couple of years, that, that's part of what we're seeing. You, you are a part of God showing up and these kids experiencing His love through the hands and the feet of the volunteers that are showing up there week in and week out. And I don't know about you, but I, I, I see that up there, and I, that's what I want my life to be about. I, I want my life to be about kids experiencing God's love. I want my life to be about people coming to a saving faith of who Jesus is and watching them up here on stage getting baptized. I, I want my life to be about those finally experiencing freedom in their life for the first time as a result of God's grace entering in, into their lives. 
we are by our nature hardwired to be generous. So if we know the benefit of, of what giving does to our lives, and if we want our lives to be a part of things like this, it begs the question, why don't we do it more often? Why aren't we more generous with what God has given us in our lives? And I think that there are a few reasons. Few reasons. I think that the number one reason is, is that we convince ourselves that we don't have enough. We get to the end of the month and there's nothing left over. And we have the best of intentions. Our heart is there, but we get there and we think we just don't have enough to do it. Or we have this mindset of, a, of, of scarcity that we convince ourselves that, okay, what well, I could give now, but what if there's an emergency later and then God may not provide and what am I supposed to do with this? Again, we, we have the best of intentions to be able to do it, but we convince ourselves that we don't have the ability to do it. Or, or maybe for you, uh, you've seen this message abused in the past. Maybe a, a, a bad church experience of yours or, or maybe some night when you, you couldn't sleep and you turned on the TV and you had the, the, the televangelist on TV with the slick back hair and he, he was making all these promises and it left you skeptical and it left you cynical. So how do we push through the fear that invades our lives? How, how do we push through the, the cynicism and the skepticism that so often surrounds this area of our lives so that we can step into the richer life that actually comes through generosity? I want to talk through the rest of this passage in 2 Corinthians 9 and pull four principles out that I think will allow us to grow in generosity. Paul continues in 2 Corinthians 9, he says, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Paul is telling us that first and foremost, that generosity is a matter of the heart. We, we give out of... A decision that, that, that we make. I, we don't give because God commands us to do it. We, we don't give because we have to or out of just some blind duty or, or obligation. No, we give because it's something that we want to do. It's this internal willingness that, that says that this is the joy of my life and our attitude matters. In fact, I think God is more concerned about our attitude than he is about the amount. So we need to somehow have the proper motivation for generosity but because Paul says that if you get the heart right, then God loves it. So what is that proper motivation that, that we can step into? If, you have, if you're taking notes, the first principle that we draw from this is that we give in response to God's grace. That every time we give, it is an act of worship or it's supposed to be an act of worship. It's done in response to God's grace in our lives. It's with a heart that is so focused on the cross of Christ that we just say, God, thank you. Thank you for what you have done in my life. That's probably the, the single greatest motivation for me because I wake up every day and I'm still blown away that, that God pursued me, even when I was his enemy, and that he chased me down and that he rescued me and he saved me. And then not only that, he gives me a purpose. He gives me a meaning. He gives me an opportunity to be a part of his mission while I'm sti still here on this earth. It, it blows me away, and I can never repay him for what he's done. All I can do is that this small expression, take a small part of me as an act of an expression of my thankfulness, give it back to him and back to his kingdom. Generosity at its heart says, God, you've been way too good to me. 
thank you. And th this is the least that I can do. I, I look at, at generosity really as it, it's a privilege. It's an opportunity to, to be used by God so that somebody else can hear and respond to the message of grace. Absolutely, sign me up. So generosity begins first as an act of thankfulness, as an act of worship of God's grace in our lives, and it spills over into this joyful act of ours. And then Paul continues, and he says, And God is able, so God is the one who's able to provide. God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. And he continues in verse 10, and he says, Now he, God, who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Paul is reminding us that God is the supplier of everything that we have in our lives. All the resources, all the blessings that we have in our lives comes from God, and He actually supplies us more than we need. He is an abundant provider, and He has a purpose for all that He has blessed us with. If you're taking notes, the second principle that we need to embrace is that we need to value stewardship over ownership. I think the greatest financial principle that, that I've learned is that God owns it all, and I'm just here as a manager. We are not the owners, and as a good manager, I don't spend my money based on what I like. I spend it based on what he likes. So what this means for us is that we have to walk through life with an open hand in regard to our possessions and the things that God puts in our lives. That we have to elevate this intentionally because if we're not careful, when, when something comes into our lives, when God blesses us and he puts it in our hand, our tendency is to close it and to say, no, this is mine. We often make the assumption that the blessings, the abundance that comes into our lives is for our own consumption. And what Paul is saying is, no, that's not true. It's all God's. He has placed it in your life to distribute it as he sees fit. And this principle forces me to continually come before God and ask him, God, what would you have me do with all that you have given me? And yes, God, part of what he provides in our lives is, is to meet our needs. And part of what he provides in our lives is actually for our enjoyment. Part of the abundance that he gives to us as a good father is for us to enjoy some of that. But there is a part that he puts into our hands and into our lives that is meant to be given away to other people. And Paul says that there's a promise that's associated with this. That when we get really good at distributing some of what God has given us to meet the needs of other people that he actually increases, that he'll pour more into our hands so that we can be used even more frequently by him to distribute that to the needs of other people around us, so that we can make a bigger difference in the world around us. The next principle comes out of, of verse 9, and, and here Paul is actually quoting a, a section of Scripture in Psalm uh, 112 where David is writing about, here's what a righteous life looks like. Here's what a life looks like that is devoted to God. And specifically, Paul is bringing this up in regards to generosity. He says, As it is written, they, the, the generous, have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Paul says that, that people who live generously, they keep their eyes up and they are constantly 
surveying the horizon to see how it is that they can bless people. So here's the principle if you're taking notes, is that we need to value people over possessions. I, I, I don't know about you, but I, I need reminded of this principle in my life because I am constantly bombarded with these messages that are reminding me of all the things that I don't have in my life and all the things that I'm missing out on or all the things that I currently have that, that need to be upgraded to the latest model. And without this value, I will drift toward elevating my comfort and elevating my convenience over the needs of others. I, I think the greatest deterrent to generosity in my life is the illusion that this world is my home. That if I start looking around and I start convincing myself that this world is all that there is, then I'll begin to elevate my own convenience and my own comfort and my own pleasure over the needs of others around me. God gives me more than I need, abundantly more than I need, so that I can make an eternal difference in the lives of people. The only thing from this world that survives into eternity is people. Everything else gets left behind. And so if we want to grow in our generosity, then we must elevate this value in our own lives, that we value people over possessions. I want, to watch, I want us to watch a video of one family who have been on this journey for a long time of growing in their generosity, and it's this value that has marked their lives. Take a look at this video. Why don't we start by telling us, telling all of us, uh, a little bit about yourselves, who you are, how long you've been together, kids, where we might find you on a Sunday, all that stuff. Okay. We are the Johnstons. I'm Nicolina Johnston. This is my husband, Rob Johnston. We have been together about 24 years, 24 years. since seniors in high school. We've been married 17 years. We have three kids, Bella, who is 12, Christopher, who will be 10, and Lily, who is 6. And typically on a Sunday morning, you will find us in the audio video lighting. Okay, so tell us how you did get to this point of where tithing and giving was just this rhythm that you did as a family. Tell us how you actually got to that uh, in your journey as a family. Just how'd you get there? We did some calculations and we figured out we uh, were part of a campaign for eight of the last 13 years. Wow. You guys gave us a few Sabbath years in there, which was nice. But, um, <laughs> but we yeah, always think about you. That's right. Our, our goal every time was to oh. sacrificially give. If it didn't hurt, then it wasn't good enough. Um, and so we gave above and beyond tithes with each one. Not to brag about that, but I feel like you know God gave so much for us, and we, we need to have that same sacrificial heart. Um, the first one was awesome, uh, going from the portable church to a, to a new facility. I struggled a little bit with Game Changers, um, kind of a selfish struggle, because I saw the church growing uh, rapidly. And we went from a small group of 200, 250 people in a grade school to, oh gosh, 500, 1,000 within just, it seems like, a few months. And the selfish, introverted side of me sort of got frustrated. I was swimming in a sea of, of faces, most of the folks I didn't really know. Um, and, you know, there was a phrase that, that the pastors and the leadership of this church kept saying, and that is that we don't circle the wagons. And God really used that to touch me in my heart because, um, you know, I don't want that to be my, that's not God's heart, and I don't want that to be my heart either. Easy, always easy to do? No, we had early marriage conflicts okay. in regards to tithing. Just I mean, I barely knew what a tithe was, to be honest. Um, and Rob was still a 
poor student and I had got my first real paying job and my first real paycheck and so what did a girl want? She wanted to go buy a $400 pocketbook. <laughs> Needless to say that did not go over well. You were more worried about FICA though. You wanted yeah. to know who this FICA was. Uh, who was FICA? Uh, and then ties were <laughs> on there too. All my money. <laughs> but we did always tithe. It was not, yep. not never an option. Not all right, so I, I want to—I uh, want you to watch, and we're going to watch this video just for a minute, uh, and then I'm going to ask you one more question. So let's just watch this. Hello, I'm Tanisha Sturdivant, and I'm here today to share with you that I have placed my faith in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I always had the impression that you had to lead this perfect Christian life before getting baptized and my whole life I just thought I wasn't enough and then I had learned that our relationship with God is a personal relationship and it is to be not compared to anybody else's so that's when I decided that I that I want to get baptized. It was when I went to high school and I got really involved in sports that I started to pull away from church. I realized that my senior year, so I made it a goal to, I want to get re reconnected with Jesus when I go to college. I got to college and I realized being a college athlete made that that much harder. I'd say it was about two years ago when I was talking to my coach about my faith and I had told him that I'd never been baptized and he was surprised because I had always talked about you know my love for God and he immediately said what are you waiting for and I knew it was because of cheerleading and I knew exactly what I had to do but I wasn't ready to give up cheerleading something that I've done all my life so I ended up chairing another year and God was pressing hard on my heart that entire year so I decided not to cheer my senior year and rededicate my life to God and that's where God led me to River Ridge and I got connected with the high school fuse group. I just knew that my next step was baptism. And ever do. Okay, so my last question is this. Uh, well, first of all, I want to say thank you. Thank you. Um, but what does all this mean to you guys uh, as you reflect on this? And what has God taught you through the lens of giving to the local? Uh, this kind of life change is, is what it's about, and it makes it worth it. Um, it's a privilege to see that. Every time God lets me in on one of these little stories, when I bump into somebody at work or at, at the store or wherever that says, I'm going to River Ridge Church, you know, and, and I see my worlds collide in that way, and, and inside I know I've, we've been a part of that, you know. That's, that's amazing. And uh, uh, widening the circle of influence of this church, it's, it's been the, the best part of it all. Um, and I'm just thankful to have been a part of it. I can't think of a better legacy to leave than, than being a part of that. Isn't that great? Yeah. I love what Rob said in there, that there's not a better legacy than we, that we can leave than to be a part of people's eternities being changed as a result of God's grace in their lives. Um, and those of you that, that have given here, you, you are a part of Tanisha's story of reconnecting with God and allowing her to, to have an opportunity to, to serve him in the ways that she does around here. We believe that everyone deserves the right 
to hear and to respond to the good news of Jesus. Everybody that we see is somebody for whom Jesus died. People matter. Eternity matters. And that's why, I don't know if you know this or not, but, but a portion of what is given here every Sunday, we send overseas. Uh, we, we have a, a real deep partnership with uh, Young Life, an organization that, that reaches into the lives of, of high schoolers over in Kenya. And I, I heard this week from the director there that just this last year, li listen to this, just last year there were 8,967 high schoolers that received Christ at a Young Life camp. It, and you were a part of that. Absolutely. The, the only thing that goes into heaven is people. People matter. That, that, that's what gets us out of bed in the morning. That, that's why we are looking down the corridor, corridor towards Barbersville and what that might look like for us as a church to enter into that community, to love them and to, to share the, the good news and the grace of God into the, another, another community of people. That's what we're looking down the road and seeing what God might open the door for us as we look into the southern part of the state. It's because people matter. So we give joyfully. We give willingly as an act of worship for what God has done for us. We value stewardship over ownership, and we realize, God, you own it all. You, you tell me how you want me to distribute it, and I'll do it as a manager of yours. And we value people over possessions. But in order for this to become a reality in our lives, we need to have this last principle in place. We have to have an intentional plan of generosity. No, nobody stumbles into being generous. It, it goes right against our human nature. It requires an intentional plan on our part. I don't know about you, but, but I make plans to buy things. Do it all the time. If I have a vacation coming up or there's a, a remodeling project that we're looking at around the house, we rearrange our priorities. We rearrange our finances so that there's a pocket of money that can be distributed for those things. We make plans to buy and acquire. What if we had the same mindset? And, and ask the question, what if I don't just make plans to buy more? What if I make plans to give more? How can I rearrange my life? How can I rearrange the priorities of my life to be used by God to bless even more people with what he's brought into my life? One of the values that we have around here that we say is that, that we never stop growing. That, that is that we are constantly evaluating every area of our lives and saying, how, how do I get better? God, how, how do I become more godly, more like Christ in my marriage, in my parenting? And even in this area of finances, how do we grow in this area? So as you look at your life, what is the next step for you? How, how can you take an intentional step and have an intentional plan to grow in this area of your life? One of the things that, that we talk about around here that might help you just kind of give some, some thought process to this. For some, you, you may need to move from, from sporadic to consistent. Right now, you don't really have an intentional plan. It's just if it comes to mind or if you have a little bit of cash in your pocket, you'll put it in there. But, but this, this first step is to say, I, I'm going to pick an amount. And I'm, I'm going to pick a frequency and I'm going to be consistent <laughs> and sowing and giving a little bit so that I can experience some of the blessing and some of the flourishing that God promises with it. Others may need to take a step from consistent to proportional. And by that, I mean that you just you choose a percentage. Instead of just choosing an amount, you choose a percentage. And as God increases your salary, your income, the percentage just stays the same. 
And, that, and for a lot of people, that is a stepping stone to what the Bible talks a lot about called the tithe. And tithe literally means 10%. And you see that principle played out over and over again in Scripture about how God's people routinely set aside 10% of what He has blessed, us with, blessed them with and return it back to Him. And I don't know why it is that, that God chose that amount or th that percentage, but as I look in my own life, I think there are a couple real practical things that it's done for me. It, it's a significant enough amount of money that when I give that, I, th there's an act of faith there, that there's an act of dependence on God, like, God, you, you're going to have to come alongside and really provide for us uh, as a family. And then secondly, I, I think it forces me to make a conscious decision in my life in a real practical and tangible way to say, say yes to God. God, I, I want to be a part of your mission here on this earth. I want to see people blessed and come to faith in you. And it's a real act of faith, a real tangible way for me to come alongside and be a partner with God in reaching this people. And then there, there are some that have been faithful tithers for a while, and that there are seasons of, of sacrificial giving. And sometimes it's just that, that God lays on your heart and that, 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 that there's a need somewhere else in the kingdom, and you enter into a season of sacrificial giving. But as you look at your own life, I mean, it's a personal decision that you have to make. What, are, what is a, an intentional step, an intentional plan that you can put into place in your own life to grow in this area of your life? But here's what I can promise you. Whatever step you might take, you will never regret living a generous life. Never. I've had a lot of buyer's remorse in, in my time. I've made some really dumb purchases that I regret afterwards. Our Christian walk had giver's remorse. You can't outgive God. The more that, that you distribute it out, the more he sends blessing into your life of being used by him. God is calling us to live lives that are marked by this outward focus, radical generosity, so that, so that we can reap fulfillment and peace and purpose and we can experience this journey with him through this life where we can be used by him in a practical way to meet the needs of others that they can feel God's love in a practical way absolutely and with his help we can become that kind of people let me pray for us God, so often when, when we talk about this topic of finances and money, it, it stirs within us all kinds of feelings of, of insecurity or fear. And God, I, I think part of why you ask us to come alongside of you in this way is because it grows our faith. And not only that, God, you then allow us to see how money, this, this thing that is really amoral, can somehow be used to transform the world around us, to, to reach the, the people in our lives. God, you are an amazing God. And I know for a lot of us here, this is an act of faith. So God, I pray that you, through your spirit, would embolden our faith, that, that we could walk through life with an open hand and understand that, that you own it all. And you've invited us to manage the blessings in our lives well. So help us, God, to have the mindset of coming before you with all that you've given us and say, God, what, what would you have us do with this? 
and help us to see the real mission that you've given us, the harvest that you have invited us to be a part of as people. Help us to value that. Help us to see them the way that you do as eternal souls that will spend eternity somewhere. Everybody that we see is somebody for whom Jesus died. People matter to you. Help us to embrace that value in our own lives. And then God, just give us courage to examine the ways that, that we can grow and we can step forward in faith. We want to be a part of what you're doing here. God, thank you for the opportunity to do that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, thanks for coming out, everybody. We'll see you back here next week for a brand new series.